This is episode 348 of The Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at Death on the Nile and the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express from four and a half years ago. What will he think about it? All that and more. This episode starts right now. What is going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Real Me and Colin the Movie Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and thank you for joining me on this day or night or whenever you're listening to this. You guys are amazing. And before uh, we get into this episode, if you guys could spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. Uh, I, I love you guys' support every single week. You guys just keep me going. I just I like the fact that pe- there's people out there enjoying me just ramble on in my room. <laughs> about whatever is happening in the movie industry. So I really do, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate every single one of you. This is episode 349, like I, or 300, excuse me, 348, uh, like I said at the top. Uh, we'll be going over Death on the Nile, a film that's going to be problematic for some people, considering there's a lot of problematic people in it. But um, directed by Kenneth Branagh is the follow-up to like the Murder on the Orient Express, taking another novel from Agatha Christie and adapting it. Um, so will this murder mystery hold up? Uh, we'll just have to find out. Uh, but that will be the main review of Conversation. And, you know, I might have some other goodies uh, stacked up my sleeve for you guys, but I, I, I don't know yet. We'll just see how the podcast goes, you know? But, uh, yeah, that is the main thing for today. But uh, I got to ask every single time, you guys know it's coming. How you guys doing? You guys doing pretty good? Uh, mid-February, uh, nothing really too much happening. Um, we had that kind of like ice, uh, storm, uh, last week in Texas. Really fun stuff. Uh, when you, when you try to drive out, uh, places and people are just idiots and they can't drive and then you just have to fear for your life every single time. Uh, so fun stuff, but we're, we're slowly getting over that. Um, just catching up on a lot of movies and TV shows and stuff. The big one for me, um, obviously I'm still watching Euphoria and Gemstones and uh, Every Sunday, always great stuff. Um, my wife and I were watching How About Your Father, um, which has been pleasant. Uh, we, we've enjoyed that. And then we watched the first three episodes of Pam and Tommy with Lily James and Sebastian Stan, the um, story about the sex tape that Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee had back in the 90s. That's a really great show. Um and I uh, look forward to that every single week. But, um, oh, and the makeup and hairstyling on Lily James is absolutely incredible. And so so is Sebastian Stan. Like, I don't know who transformed them, but they need to get the version of the Oscars for that when the Emmys come around. I don't care what they have to do to get it. It is absolutely impressive. But the show I actually watched um, in preparation for season three, I watched all... 21 episodes because they were only like 22 minutes long each i finished atlanta uh, i know weird right I, I i just piled through season one and two i love that show i, I loved uh seeing the the chemistry between donald glover um brian tyree henry and lakeith stanfield it's nice to know that, like this is the show that kind of brought all of them into the forefront even zazzy beats and now look they're they're all bigger than ever and then now they're coming back for season three which drops march 25th um on fx and hulu the next day and everything but yeah i i really enjoyed that show um season one had really great moments of comedy and uh commentary season two up the ante 
and it was even crazier than season one. Um, some of them uh, episodes I laughed harder than in, than season one. Uh, some of them I cringed more than season one. Uh, I was in more shock and awe than season one. They just upped the end, and so I'm really looking forward to see what they do for season three. Really great stuff. So you got if you guys haven't checked out Atlanta, and you have a Hulu account, I'd say give it give it a chance. Um, I really like it, and I like the fact that FX has two shows about rappers. Um, uh, this one, Atlanta, and then uh, I also love uh, Dave um, with uh, Little Dicky. So uh, yeah, uh, keep it up, I, I, FX, if you want to do another one. But yeah, Atlanta was a, a nice surprise. It was weird. It was wacky. Um, it was serious. Uh, it made me feel uncomfortable, and it was funny. And you know what? That's Donald Glover in a nutshell. That's what he does with his art, and I respect it. So it made me feel more uncomfortable for season three, and I can't wait. We're gonna be in Europe that season. Uh, it's gonna be cool. Um, but yeah, so I watched that. Uh, as far as movies go, uh, I watched a I watched a few of them. Um, catching up on a lot of uh, links that are sent to me, and you guys are getting all those mini reviews and stuff. Um, but yeah, and of course the Oscar nominations uh, came out. Uh, you guys got that episode of my live reactions. Man, some really great stuff that just absolutely just floored me in terms of uh, nominations. My favorite one is uh, Troy Kotzer for CODA, getting in for supporting actor. Kristen Stewart getting in for actress. Um, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter getting in for supporting actress. A lot of great surprises. Um, Drive My Car getting in for uh, uh, screenplay, directing, and picture. Did they get in for editing? I forgot, but uh, that was really great to see. Just so many great things that happened from the nominations, and I'm so glad that I live in Central Time, and I already ha I'm already up by the time they were announced. Um, but man, for people on the West Coast waking up at five in the morning for that, crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, really, just I was like watching those nominations just being read out and uh, live and everything. So um, yeah, I really really enjoyed that. Okay, so you know there were a couple movies that I saw. Uh, last week that I was thinking to myself, could I do mini reviews for them? Or do you think people are getting tired of those? And I was like, let me give people a break and let me just do it in this episode. That's right. I got two bonus reviews that uh, I have for you all, uh, movies that I caught up on last week. You guys are going to get them in this episode because to be quite frank, my Death on the Nile review is not that long. So <laughs> uh, it, it is... Um, I had to pad out the episode itself, so I was like, well, instead of doing mini-reviews, I'm just going to lump it all here. Uh, that way I give you guys a little bit more um, entertainment and uh, analysis on this one. So, yeah, I got two movies that I want to review for you guys. One is on Apple TV+, Plus if, it, if you so choose to see it, and the other one is on Amazon Prime Video. So, yeah, they both released on February 11th uh, on their respective services. So, yeah, here are my reviews of them. Let's start with... The Sky is Everywhere. It's a uh, film that's uh, told through the eyes of a teenager who has lost um, her her sister. And she plays the clarinet. And so she has like kind of this very like hyperactive, like artistic mindset. So we get to see it, uh, what's happening in her mind in real time. And it's very surreal. It was just a very uh, um, interesting movie that I had no idea it was going to even look like that. So here is my review of The Sky is Everywhere. So reading that plot synopsis and kind of diving into it, 
I knew this was going to be a film about grief, and that's been kind of a common theme, uh, especially from like last year's films. There was a handful of them that were all about grief, and it seems like we're going to keep that trend going a little bit. But I'm always interested to see how films approach it because, you know, whoever is experiencing the grief, it's not just them. It's just kind of everyone that's involved with the person that has passed. So you kind of get into the mindset of how it, what people are thinking, and it really is just like this therapeutic, cathartic experience not only for the main character but for just for us as an audience member we've all been through this so it's nice to see different perspectives on it and different um uh you know visual representations of grief uh it's always just nice to see so i really like this one it, it's a it's a nice little watch uh if you like films that uh deal with grief or like films that just feel like a nice slice of life and uh really just kind of uh lively characters i think this is the one for you the one thing i really liked about this one in particular is director uh, josephine decker this was a visually stunning film it's vibrant it's bubbly it's um surreal at moments um the main character uh she uh is in band she plays the clarinet so she kind of has like this creative artistic mindset and so she's constantly thinking uh, uh, just creatively nonstop. So since she is shy on the outside, on the inside, we see her brain kind of working and she really just has this um, dreamlike kind of fairy tale um, kind of sheen on everything that's happening in her life. And so we get kind of like what her mind is going through um, you know, while coping with her sister's death, it's almost like a form of escapism for her. Um, but also she just has like that kind of like artistic, uh, creative mentality. So it makes total sense for that character. But it's nice to kind of see what's happening inside of her internally and emotionally because we can't see it on the outside because she is so shy and she is so guarded. Um, but uh, throughout the film, she talks to uh, a myriad of people, including her sister's boyfriend. Um, she meets a couple people at school that she kind of talks to and so she kind of talks to them about the situation they talk to her uh, and so it's nice for her to you know express herself knowing that she is at the lowest point of her life it was nice to kind of see her talk just things out and um, I, I always love seeing the, the scenes of her uh, viewing the world in this kind of fairy tale surreal uh, aspect and it just adds so much personality to her that you you automatically fall in love with her. And you're just like, you, you really just want her to be as happy as possible, even though she's going through uh, something really dire. Um, but director Josephine Decker, what I liked is her use of color um, and really making these uh, surreal moments pop uh, as much as possible. Really just kind of cranking up that saturation just a hair it really just adds so much life to this story and to this film. It was really great to look at. But also, it, it makes sense because um, the main character, uh, she has this, um, like I said, this very creative mindset to where like she would see the world like this. Um, so just on a visual note, it makes sense for the story, the character, and just from a directing standpoint, it really just makes the, the film stand out and pop a little bit more. But what's genius about the color and the uh, surreal aspects about this film is that the further we get down into the story, reality kind of sobers up um, the main character and sets in. 
So the colors around her are actually becoming a little bit more muted, a little bit more normal. <laughs> and so that is kind of the director's way of telling you that uh, her escapism and uh, the way she sees life, it, it, it is a part of her, but it is also a coping mechanism for her sister's death. But as the film keeps going and she just comes to the realization that she's going to have to relive her sister's death over and over and over again throughout her entire life, when the colors go back to normal and they're a little bit more muted, that sobering of reality is so great for the character arc. It's great visually on that note for the directing standpoint. It's genius stuff. I don't know if that's what she was going for, but that's the way I, I kind of viewed it. I also like the director's choice of keeping the um, depth of field really, really blurry. And so what I mean by that is that every time when the main character was talking to someone and she was talking about her sister or talking about what she's, what she's feeling at that moment, everything around the other person that she's talking to and even herself, it's all blurred out to a point where you can't even decipher anything. And what's in focus is the person that she's talking to. And so what that told me on a, a, a character front is that she really focuses in on who she's talking to and she blocks out the world and she um, really um, has a, a connection towards people that, that she doesn't break. And I, I like that because there, there are, I'm kind of like that where it's just like when I'm talking with someone, I am in the conversation 100%. I'm not really paying attention to what's going on around me. So another directing choice that I really appreciate. But I think uh, uh, just overall taking this screenplay, which is adapted from a novel and applying it to this almost like a where the wild things are type of approach and visual look to it, I, I think the director, Josephine Decker, did a fantastic job. And going into the performances here, they're all just really nice. And like everyone has their moment to shine. Uh, no one gets sidelined. Uh, the main character always gets to have an opportunity to talk to specific people. And it's really uh, amazing to just kind of uh, see um, who she tells specific things to because there are specific people that she tells, you know, more internal stuff. And there's some people that she likes to know more about them and like what they're going. It was just a great kind of uh, just interaction between all the characters. And I thought everyone just did a fantastic job because when you're dealing with grief and you're dealing with this type of sadness, um, you need to meet, you need to have people bring their A game. And I think uh, everyone did that. And it's not just an all out serious movie. There's a lot of lighter moments too. Uh, which I appreciate. Um, it just makes it a little bit more three-dimensional and a little bit more just a um, life approach. You know, life is not always doom and gloom. There's always some bright moments. You can have both. They can both coexist with one another. Um, but everyone did, it, did great. Listen, is this thing going to, like, pop up in the uh, top ten of the year? No. Um, is it something that Apple TV Plus can be proud of? Absolutely. I think if you have this... Um, uh, service uh, and you want to check out something this weekend, something new um, that's just, uh, you know, it, it just it wasn't like a good, nice breath of fresh air. I think the sky is everywhere. We'll do just that. The next film I want to talk about is a rom-com starring Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. It is on Amazon Prime Video. I want you back. Um, so yeah, let's not waste any time. Let's dive right into it. But this one is a rom-com starring Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, and they are newly dumped 30-somethings uh, named Peter and Emma that team up to sabotage their exes' new relationships and win them back for good. And the people that they're trying to break up, uh, Scott Eastwood, who was with Jenny Slate's character, and Gina Rodriguez, who was with Charlie Day's character. Going into this, I never saw a trailer, uh, but I really wanted to see it. One of my uh, 
you know, favorite uh, genres, if you will, uh, if it is done correctly. I like rom-coms. I like romances. I like dramedies. I like anything that has to do with relationships or friendships and whether people are going to end up uh, together or not. I like that stuff. Sue me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if it can deliver on, you know, the laughs, the romance, making us care about the main characters, is there chemistry there? Then I'm going to like it. I mean, they're just movies that make you feel good, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, I like Charlie Day quite a bit. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, one of my favorite shows of all time. And, of course, Jenny Slate. You know, what's really great about her is that when she had her, her um, short little run of SNL, you know, she was more iconic for dropping the F-bomb in one of the skits than her entire run on that show. And when she left it, I was like, I don't know if she's going to do much. She's actually been doing quite a bit, and I've enjoyed watching her um, dramas, uh, and, and comedies and the mix of both and all that stuff. And she found success doing the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies. That's what I'm saying. Like she was better off leaving the show. Uh, one of my favorite ones, um, that she did a long time ago was in 2014. It was a obvious child, really great little movie. Uh, check it out if you haven't. And of course, uh, she found success doing voice acting, like I said, with Alvin and the Chipmunks and like Secret Life of Pets and Zootopia. She's doing just fine. Okay. Uh, so I, uh, I, went, I went off on a little tangent, but uh, I just wanted to uh, let you guys know that. So what what is uh, what is the deal with this one? I want you back. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I think uh, there's nothing harmful about it. Nothing really fantastic about it. It's just like, that was a nice little movie. So, uh, you know, it is co-written by uh, uh, Isaac... Uh, Aptaker and Elizabeth Berger or Berger. Um, they are actually the writers of like How I Met Your Father and uh, Elizabeth has done episodes of like This Is Us and like Love, Simon and stuff. So um, very prolific uh, writer and just knowing how to weave in a nice little story with characters that we care about and she's really funny and like she knows how to apply the drama when she needs to. Really fantastic writer and so is Isaac. Um but what I really like about this one is Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. They carry the movie. And when you're dealing with your two main leads in any type of rom-com or romance or comedy, they got to be good. They got to have the chemistry. They got to have the wit. They have to have the charm. They have to have you know something that we like about them, something that we don't like about them. They just have to be really good characters for us to follow into the unknown that is a relationship or friendship or whatever these two do it. And what I specifically like about Slate and Day is they're really great at bouncing off of one another. They both come from a comedic background, so they have that that timing, that improv, the um, the fast-paced type of uh, talking and jokes and stuff. And like they're really good at that. And I think that makes their chemistry more compatible um, for us to kind of follow throughout the story. Uh, and then, of course, you know Scott Eastwood and Gina Rodriguez being the uh, foils to both of them. Uh, they were funny. They had their moments. Uh, and you know what? I like Scott Eastwood doing more comedies. I think he has a knack for it. It's kind of like when Chris Hemsworth, you know, way back in the day when, you know, he's doing like Thor and he's doing like Rush and, you know, he's doing all these films to kind of make his uh, footing known in Hollywood. And then he does something like Ghostbusters where, you know, the movie's whatever. It's fine. But um, he was a standout. Uh, he is really great at comedic timing. And so you give him the proper material to work with, he can roll with it. 
I think Scott Eastwood has the opportunity to do that. He's a good-looking dude. He's just like Chris Hemsworth, right? Good-looking dude that's really funny and that was super unexpected. I think that's awesome. So uh, he's got his moments. Gina Rodriguez, um, definitely, uh, you know, she, she's great. Like I said, a good counterpart to Charlie Day. Uh, and then also, I really love um, Manny uh, uh, Jac Jacinto. Uh, I probably mispronounced that. I apologize. He comes from, I first knew him from uh, uh, the, uh, the Good Place. And so he, I love it when he pops up in little movies and stuff. But I thought everyone's uh, kind of camaraderie and chemistry, all balancing off one another, all really great stuff. Did I actually care about the romance or the story? Actually, yes. Um, you know, uh, you think it's going to go uh, the way it's going to go towards the end. It, do it does. It's not like anything surprising, but it is nice to know that even up until the last moment, when things blow up in each other's faces and the emotional climax is there, there is a part of you that doubts whether it's going to happen or not. And so I kind of like that uh, uncertainty and just uh, the mystery behind the relationship. Is it or isn't it? So uh, it does kind of keep you on your toes a little bit towards the end. But just throughout the entire experience, um, what these two people are doing, really not good. Uh, and, you know, they kind of clarified that at the end. But um, they are still good people. And I'm glad that they, you know, like found each other and like they started hanging out and stuff. And I think just... Charlie Day and Jenny Slate hanging out, it was just a fun time to where we were brought into that environment, and it was a fun time to watch. So I, I really enjoyed the comedy uh, when it, it, it was there. Some jokes hit more than others, but for the most part, it had its moments, and it got me actually laughing out loud. Um, the romance is nice. It's sweet. The friendship that they form uh, before they get to that level is, is nice, and so I think it's just a pleasant little movie to watch on valentine's day or valentine valentine's day weekend because that's what amazon prime video is doing they're dropping this on friday on the 11th so you can have something to watch um this valentine's day weekend or you know saving it till monday this is a good one and you know this also tells me that jenny slate and charlie day both need to do more stuff like this i i know they can do comedy and i've even seen jenny slate do drama i would love for charlie day to push himself to do more uh, dramatic stuff or more romances and stuff and kind of break that mold of what people think of Charlie Day, which is, you know, Charlie on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, having some dimension to his uh, kind of acting profile, that would be awesome. So if he does more stuff like this and keeps pushing himself, I think he can really make people surprised of what he can do. And I know Jenny can do it, so I would like to see them do more. So if there's anything this movie taught me, which it was, it was pretty good uh, in rom-com standards. I think it's just seeing all these people involved in this movie do more stuff like this. So that's my review on I Want You Back and The Sky Is Everywhere. Let me know down below if you've seen these uh, and if you liked them or whatever. You know, I just wanted to give you guys a little, little spice on this episode, a little, little surprise, you know what I'm saying? So, All right, so when we come back from the break, let's talk about Death on the Nile, the follow-up to the same kind of universe as the Murder on the Orient Express, same director, Kenneth Branagh coming back. Um, so all of that uh, and more uh, when we come back. <music> 
And welcome back from the break. Let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into Death on the Nile. You know, this is a follow-up uh, to The Murder on the Orient Express, another novel adapted from uh, author uh, Agatha Christie. And it has Kenneth Branagh coming back to direct, and he's also the investigator. So that's how you kind of tie in both of those worlds. But, um, yeah, it's a completely new set of characters. It's a new mystery. It's a new setting. So there's that. And the, the plot goes as follows. While on vacation on the Nile, Hercule Poirot must investigate the murder of a young heiress. So um, that's it. <laughs> Just like the murder on the Orient Express, we have a... Uh, cavalcade of characters and something happens to one of them and Perot uh, has to um, figure out who did it and by the end he has this nice little monologue where he's like okay I've figured it all out I pieced it together in my head boom you were involved with this boom you were involved so that's usually how these movies go but um, they could be a lot of fun and, you know with my history on this uh, briefly real quick is that I don't remember anything about the murder on the Orient Express this is one of those things to where it came out four and a half years ago at this point, and I don't remember anything about it. I remember some of the people that were in it, but that's about it. So, yeah, I, um, you know, so going into this, I wasn't, like, super excited. Um, I didn't even see any of the trailers. Uh, I just wanted to kind of go into it blind when I had the opportunity to watch it. So I watched it, and it's not bad. I actually had a fun time with it. You know, the thing is, with this one, I felt like the narrative and some of the character work was a little bit um, thematically richer and a little deeper than the uh, than the first one. I felt like there were a lot of moments that we got to kind of um, take a breath in and really kind of explore some of the characters and explore some of their backstories and, like, you know why they are the way they are and really just kind of like crack underneath the surface and I kind of appreciated that uh director Kenneth Branagh didn't have to do that but he did it and I enjoyed that part um you know as far as like uh the the mystery goes I think Branagh does the exact same thing here as he does with the first one you know it, it's um it's fun and then when uh uh you know the the murder actually happens you know you're kind of in suspense and like you want to figure out who did it and you know he kind of takes you along this ride like maybe it could be this person he misdirects and it, you know he throws this person in there it's like maybe it could be this person and you know even up to the very very last moment uh brana does a lot of misdirects to kind of like throw you off uh just a little bit and then at the very end you're like oh, okay i kind of had a suspicion <laughs> it was uh this person but um i think Brana just makes you have a fun time with it, makes it very interactive, and you, you feel like you're a part of the adventure and the mystery, just like his character in the movie is, because he plays the investigator. So I think overall, from a directing standpoint, and from a writing standpoint, um, I think another addition to the kind of fun whodunit um, adventure, while also um, making the characters seem a little bit uh, more complex, uh, than the first one, which I really appreciate, um, and that that's the added bonus that this one has over uh, Murder on the Orient Express. So if they want to make a third one, that's totally fine. Just make it another whodunit, and then just add another layer on top of that. I don't know what you would do, but just kind of do uh, that like, with, with, with what you did with this one, and I think um, it'll make it for a nice little experience. So Brana, hats off to you um, for making this one stand out, and uh, I, I appreciated the additions to this. As far as the cast goes, in terms of it being a, a ensemble piece, 
I think everyone does their part. Um, you know, Gal Gadot is the the main character. She's, I think she's probably the weakest out of everyone. Uh, I still am not convinced um, of any project she's done outside of Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm still willing to give her plenty of chances, especially when she does her Cleopatra biopic. That's going to be the ultimate test. But um, I never really felt it from her in in her scenes because you know we're we're in the 30s. Uh, in this film, so it's a different setting, it's a different time period, and so you definitely want uh, the actors to, um, one, feel like they're in that time frame, and two, just have fun with this material, and I just didn't really feel it from her, um, that's basically, she was basically the only one. The elephant in the room, the hammer in the room, if you will, um, he's, he's fine, he has his moments in the movie, um, but... That's that's all I need to discuss. Uh, we don't need to dive into that story um, any any more than everyone else has on the internet. But um, as far as far as he goes in the movie, um, serviceable. There you go. Um, you know, a couple of the others that uh, were a standout for me. I really enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed. Um, uh, Tom Bateman and Annette Bening as the father kind of mother duo. I thought their uh, chemistry was really nice, and I I just love the, them chewing the scenery any chance that they got, and they really dug in um, to the environment and to the story and to their characters, and it made me just appreciate the the mystery a little bit more when I see specific actors like that having a blast with the material. Because you know it's a whodunit, you know you don't have to take it too serious, even though like I said they do take it some somewhat serious in some of the the scenes um they still have fun with it russell brand's in this didn't know if you knew that um he is he's, he's a very weird character um but i think he he does what he he can and i i uh you know it, it is what it is. it's not really anything to write home about but it is weird to see um mr brand in this movie uh who else uh rose leslie um you may you may know her from game of thrones uh i liked her her presence i want to see her more movies uh so i would like that very much um ali fazel or fazel um he plays kind of like the um uh cousin to gal gadot's character i liked him uh he's kind of like he's supposed to be like a snaky character and you know not really trustworthy and uh, I, I thought he delivered that quite well um there's a there's a couple of like aunts and like godmothers they're you know they're kind of goofy but like they they fit the um um kind of murder mystery it's like you know they, they seem a little innocent they're older right it's like no not really they have they have motives as well I liked uh, Letitia Wright as well. I thought she was a, a nice addition to the cast, and every time when she was on screen, um, I thought she popped uh, a lot more than some of the other actors, so I will give her that. Um, the actress that was playing her, uh, uh, she, she was like a, a manager of like a musician, so the musician in the film, I really enjoyed her as well. Uh, once again, it just it's, it's very apparent when you see other actors really giving 110% and then ones that are just kind of like on cruise control. So you can definitely tell, but she was definitely not. Um, and then the, um, uh, I, I'm forgetting the actress's name, but the one that is uh, Army Hammer's love interest uh, at the beginning of the film, 
she was fantastic. I would say like her and Kenneth Branagh were probably the best ones out of the entire film. They even have scenes together. And so uh, I thought she was incredible. Um, and so once again, just kind of like adding to the complexity of a character, um, really kind of diving beneath the surface. She was a, a part of that kind of, um, uh, you know, directorial decision from from Brana and the writers on their part. But yeah, she was she was fantastic. Um, you know, some of the uh, green screen is a little wonky. Um, some of it uh, is definitely apparent. I don't know what they did, but it seems like they built the boat and it was surrounded with um, some props and some set construction, like maybe a couple feet out of it or something, and then the rest was green screen. I have no clue, but that's what I'm assuming it was. Some of it is a little uh, wonky, and what I mean by that is that some of the kind of like sunlight scenes uh, are very apparent on the actors, uh, especially if the actors are in front of the green screen, the sun is behind them. It's, it's definitely a, a, a separation of the two and you can definitely tell that they are two separate things so um it's not really like great blending on that part but everything else i thought was pretty good um i was a little worried when i saw like the um, parts of the trailer and like you know the poster and everything i was like oh no so if this is gonna be set on a boat like what is it gonna look like on the outside like did they actually go somewhere like is this like a pool or something i have no clue but um uh besides that everything else was pretty well done I don't know if they did this, but it looked like they were um, some depth of field and like um, what? What am I trying to think of? It's like it's like the trick of the eye where you put something close um, and it looks bigger than it is. Um, come back to me on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you know it down below, let me know. But um, yeah, I really, I really thought there was some some nice trickery with some miniatures that were uh, uh, like further into the camera than it should and like it, it was messing with the uh, um, uh, death perception and everything and so I thought that was kind of cool I don't know if that was if that was it but that was at the beginning of the film it looked pretty cool it, it kind of uh, uh, reminded me of Team America a little bit when they were in the the desert scene but <laughs> But uh, other than that, I thought the um, the actual execution and the construction of it, like if that's what it was, hey, good on them. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a cheaper method um, than traveling, and so I thought they did a pretty good job with that. So, um, yeah, other than that, I don't really know what else more to say. You know, I love the fact that whodunits are like kind of like coming into the forefront again. You know, especially with like the first one, Murder on the Orient Express, and of course like the, with the explosive hit. That's that was Knives Out. Uh, I'm just loving this kind of renaissance of Who Done It. So keep these up. Uh, you know, if they're if they're just a fun time at the movies, I can't really complain. I think this one did that and it added a little bit more, um, a little bit more flash to it, and I, I really uh, appreciate that. So that's my review on Death on the Nile. Please let me know down below uh, whether you loved it, hated it, thought it was okay, and if you liked the uh, Murder on the Orient Express as well. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. But that will do it for this episode, guys. I'm Chase. Uh, you know, for 349, it is not going to debut on the 21st. Uh, it will debut on the 23rd. Um, I will not have a chance to see Uncharted uh, this week when it uh, is coming out. So I'm going to see it on the 22nd. 
Um, and then I will post up the episode on the 23rd. So it will be a couple days late, uh, but that is uh, the route I'm going with that. Um, you know, sometimes I got to push episodes. It's not a big deal. It gives you guys more time to catch up on um, all the episodes and mini reviews and all that stuff. So works out anyways. So Uncharted will be uh, on the 23rd, uh, three, uh, 349. And then the following week, I still want to do um, House of Gucci, King Richard, and maybe another one. Just because House of Gucci wasn't nominated. So I feel kind of bad putting it as the episode. But I still want to review it anyways. It's more of a catch-up episode anyway. So... I'm still going to do it. Um, so, yeah. So, that that is your February uh, right there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything else. There there will be another menu review on the 16th, and that's all I have so far. So, and I usually get these these links to these reviews and stuff um, in, in these movies, um, sometimes spontaneously. So, I just, I never know what my week's going to look like. But it's also exciting for you guys because you never know what I'm going to review. So, it works out for everyone. So, um, yeah, so that will do it for this episode on 348 of the Real Me and Colin Movie Podcast. I am Chase Lee, uh, and hopefully you guys are having a good day or good night or whenever you're listening to this, and I will see you guys for the next one, episode 349, where I will uh, go over Uncharted. So I will see you guys then.